Welcome to How to Scale, the podcast by Frog Capital focused on helping software companies to successfully scale up. For more than 10 years, we have developed a solid understanding of the common challenges that scale-up companies face. With our group of operating partners, who have learned from years of experience, we have created the Scale-Up methodology, which brings together insights and tools to help improve companies' probability of reaching sustainable profitability. Each podcast looks at a different challenge that all companies will face on their way to scale. My name is Jens Düring. I'm one of the senior partners at Frog Capital, the investor focused on purpose-driven European software companies in the scale-up phase. Over the last 20 years, my own personal journey has led me to work in this space, challenging the status quo to identify better ways to tackle problems. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, sign up for the podcast at frogcapital.com slash podcast. Today's episode is focused on being successfully acquired with Mike Reed. Mike founded Frog Capital in 2009 and has been investing in businesses for over 20 years and overseen the sale and acquisition of over 50 companies in that time. In our conversation, we'll cover topics including building value sustainably, shareholder and stakeholder alignment, corporate communications, mastering due diligence, and most importantly of all, planning well in advance. In this podcast, I have the pleasure of talking with my senior partner colleague, Mike Reed, who's got a 20-year-long uh, experience uh, of working with private equity companies and VC-backed companies. Mike, in that time, you have exited many companies successfully. What are the key pillars to prepare a company for successful exit? Thank you, Jens. Yeah, this is a really fascinating topic, and it's, it's really complex and difficult when done badly and looks super smooth when done well, but, but has been choreographed with fine detail when it's gone well as well. So I think the headline to kick off with is you need to start thinking about profiling your business to exit way, way earlier than you'd expected, probably three or four years before you actually do the deed. And so treat it as a sort of mega long sell cycle B2B SaaS kind of process. Yeah, and that's actually quite an important point, Mike, because um, the different routes to a company's progression past VC ownership are very different in how they look to the management teams. Let it be an IPO, let it be a private equity takeover or a corporate takeover. How do you sensitize the team to what the priorities are and how that drives the priorities for the business going forward? Yeah, ultimately, 99% of the priority obviously needs to be growing the business. And if you build a great business, you're going to have a great exit. So that is the number one piece. And uh, when you think kind of three or four years out, and we, we've done a 11 steps to a successful exit toolkit, which is available on the Frog website. And the number one theme right from the get go is building a great business. But not only building that, but being able to communicate, you've got a great business. So ultimately, being recognized in the market as a serious potential leader in that market is a really important reputational point, and it takes years to build. So that may be key clients of yours in the market saying over a coffee or a beer with somebody, oh, yep, one of the key players is XYZ business. Ultimately, having the ability to communicate to 
people along the way around key KPIs, not only your top line growth, but the quality of business you're building, customer referencing and measures of satisfaction, customer satisfaction and the trend lines that. So when you start exposing that to key partners, having all that data and just being able to show people ultimately how people are happy with your product. And then finally, of course, building just a kick-ass team right across the bases because, of course, that reputation will not just be built on what you say in the market, but as you become a, a serious scale-up with two, three, four, five hundred people, it will be your management team of potentially 10 to 12 people who will be out in the market and be perceived as either fantastic or mediocre. So now you have established your company as one of the winners in the market. It's perceived as such because you have engaged with the market communication. How do you as a leadership team evaluate your different exit options? This is a little bit of a tricky one because I'm a big believer in not actually being totally fixed on who may buy the company. In fact, if you think Visa is going to be your acquirer, it's actually pretty dangerous to then either subconsciously or consciously define your path of that because ultimately if they decide not to buy you for whatever internal reasons, then then you may be a bit lost and, and regret why you did certain geographical expansion or product roadmap things just for Visa. So I like the kind of generic proposition, almost thinking like you're going to IPO the business. You just want to be building out a great business. But at the same time, you need to what we would call work on corporate communications, defining a key audience list that then would include trade buyers. So who are making the, the key decisions in your potential acquire group? There's usually a head of corporate strategy or an M&A, maybe a finance director and CEO. So listing out and being clear as CEO of your business that you know who those people are and you can get to them. Second is a big group of private equity. In technology, we've seen a huge uh, interest in technology now. So who are the key buyers in, in, in that market? Knowing who they are and working on your reputation management with them, sending them newsletters letters, giving them a call every now and then is a really key part of the exit process. With your experience of exiting company successfully, how do you support management teams to understand the personal trade-offs they have, whether they get acquired by a corporate, go and get acquired by a private equity company or IPO in the market? Yeah, really important point, Jens, because guess what? That that never really comes up in a board meeting. So this is a sort of highly personal issue that needs chemistry and time to sit down and build a, a kind of discussion with a CEO to take a step back and say, okay, what is it you're really after? The business is going to be successful. So the, now the question is, what do you want to be doing in the future? Do you feel like you want to exit the business soon after acquisition? Do you want to continue running the business and find a, a private equity partner? There's a whole range of outcomes that could be possible for um, a management team. So I think just getting that kind of discussion going, coordinating it with ideally a chairperson is pretty well positioned to have those conversations as well and communicate with your own shareholder group to who's leading those discussions with the team because it's, put it this way, finding out certain things late in an exit process of I'm not selling to that trade buyer because there's no way I'm going to work for them. You want to know that right up front before you start a process. And we have both seen it. That's a difficult discussion to have such late in the process. And hence, we do encourage our management teams to think about the trade-offs. So if you get acquired by a strategic, you will get your money out quicker. You will probably get a time to stay with the acquirer, but you will also have very little influence about the available budget and the decision-makings there. 
if you go to private equity, you'll get less out of your money straight away, probably about half of the money that you have in the company. You will have more decision-making powers, but you will have a controlling board that will give you guidance, if not tell you what the budget is. And you might be able to lead your company for much longer. If you go to the public market and do an IPO, you get the least money out up front. You have a lock-in, you will have to have agreement on how much you can sell, if anything, once you are in the public market, but you will be most independent. So there's a continuum here that has a different impact on the decision-making of the individual entrepreneurs and how it fits in their life planning. And, and we do encourage our entrepreneurs to have that thought and have that discussion with their team members because you will have divergent views on that group as well early on and draw us in as they see fit. But this is something that we also know will have to be agreed upon and should be agreed upon when you enter a plan to exit. All right, thank you, Mike. And now that you have essentially given your company some prominence with the potential acquirers, how do you then actually start the process? What are the key elements and what's the key timeline to be successful? So we've got alignment around the board and the shareholder table, which is really important, as we all know. Then uh, there's a sort of decision around uh, using an M&A advisor. And ultimately, on balance, I would be an advocate for doing so. It's very useful to have an intermediary in what will be quite intense negotiations and discussion right through on the kind of setting a price and structure, but all the way through to working capital assumptions and legal terms uh, towards the end, hopefully. So taking time to choose a M&A banker is really important. And back to what we've already said, building up your reputation with investment bankers over the last two or three years will pay off fantastically. And if you haven't put that work in and you're going to an investment bank introducing yourself and saying this is who we are, then you realise, well, you haven't really done the job and you you probably won't be able to get the, the A-grade team. Other pieces, personally, I advocate choosing M&A bankers probably towards the exit period rather than way up front because ultimately what you really want is 10 to 12 investment banks wanting your business and promoting you and saying you're a great company because ultimately you're going to have to turn 11 of them down or so. So you're going to have 11 bankers who've been told, sorry, you haven't won the business and therefore they're probably not going to be quite as positive about you after the case. But they can earn a fee by advising your potential acquirer. So by having that out there, there is an argument that that can help the process. Yes, absolutely. And we've just seen that recently again in one of our markets. So yeah, so you've chosen a banker. Always like lawyers, don't go for the name, go for the individual. So really want to reference that person and make sure that they are leading the project right through. And then post that, set your expectations that they are not going to do everything for the process. They're going to do some key things around running the project, but ultimately internally, and this is where a strong CFO plays a critical hand, building out the data room, getting the business organized, ready for due diligence, managing multiple due diligences at the same time is going to be an internal role. A banker just can't do that. So uh, ensuring you have a CFO, I would say two years before exit at least, who has been through an M&A process before is going to make your life a lot easier. Excellent. And now that you have prepared the process, how does the next step then change? What are the key elements as you now have the first set of management meetings? The key piece that a good banker should be doing is actually preparing all parts of the process well before 
anything starts happening because the last thing you want is to be asked certain information around due diligence and you just don't have the data and you have to delay the process. So delaying a timetable can be absolutely catastrophic for a process and has a direct impact on, in my view, the whole deal, but certainly the valuation. So having everything thought through right at the get-go, depending on just how hot a company you are, depends on how bold you can be with the structure of your process. So at one end, I was hearing about a case of a business that went to market formally with all the material and 16 days later completed. That's definitely at the more aggressive private equity end of the world. And believe it or not, these guys can actually move that fast. But ultimately, most likely you're going to have a fairly flexible timetable, no set dates. You don't want to give any impression of missing dates and really start cultivating strong interest into your business. And then you need to really establish the key gatekeeping points for a potential acquirer. So you're going to have a Mike Reed who's really likes your business, wants to acquire the business, but ultimately they need to persuade and go through board approvals in their place. And so a good banker should be really thrashing out what board agreements and approvals have been taken, who's really been taken seriously. And then to the next phase around bids and thrashing out bids, clearly you don't really want to go exclusive with one party until right at the end. Sometimes in some situations, not not until completion, but in reality, probably right after you've got a full term sheet signed and you've really tried to clarify that final pieces our regulatory approval and maybe some tax and other limited DD. And then at the same time, communication again is critical. So you need a board and a shareholder group who is flexible enough to make decisions. If people can't react, then you need to get agreement that if shareholder X is happy, will you be happy? Because they always make the calls and you don't always make the calls. Getting conversations like that so you can adjust to, we need to agree to a certain warranty level, we need to agree to an earn out, we need to do it fast today and yet you need to get that kind of agreement a slow board can absolutely kill a deal fantastic and that's all very sound advice let's get some numbers and some tangible advice on this strong interest how many potential acquirers reflect strong interest for you good question for me over 10 ultimately it's all about how many people might fall out of the process as you narrow the pipeline of interest into the company. So if you have less than 10 and people don't really understand your gross margins or the reality of your business, etc., you're going to see a fallout of potentially 80%. So you've got the two dynamics of exposing sufficient amount of data to enable people to quietly withdraw from the process, but equally enable you to qualify people in. And then really you want you know fully qualified in at least four, I would say, going into the final furlong. Yeah, and that's the same in my experience because it's usually a surprise to the entrepreneurs how many of these initial meetings they have to make to actually get to 10 potential acquirers who put intangible offer on the table. And this can sometimes be more than 50 of those meetings, which is very time consuming. Yeah, And that speaks for having some good advisor with you who can take some of the administrative burden off you. Next question then, Mike, on this timeline, you've now decided who you want to work with, who you're going to be acquired by or who to go public with. What are the main hurdles late in the process? Exhaustion. 
every deal dies at least twice before it gets through. So you will be tired, you're running the business and things look like they've gone so wrong, the whole thing's going to fall apart, it gets rescued again. So I think that piece around really working as a team, CEO, CFO, advisor, and then ideally COO type trusted parties within your team who can really run the business whilst you are focused on the M&A process. Deep discomfort of being out of your comfort zone around technicalities to do with the deal. Oh, the deal is falling over for X reason and you, you just don't understand what the reason is. It's some legal issue that's really important to other sides. So having trusted lawyers around you who can talk in straight language to kind of clarify and help you negotiate and knowing when to compromise. Ultimately, is is vital and therefore that connectivity and trust around your key shareholder group of you in a meeting knowing okay if I propose this compromise I'm not going to make a couple of phone calls and realize I made a mistake and and I don't have my shareholder base with me so so that piece is going to be really key and then of course as you look ahead you're you're thinking around communication to your team so how is this going to go down with the team? Who's going to have an issue with it? And just how can you ensure that the, your gut feel about the coming together of whatever you're doing actually conveys to the rest of the organization and gives you that kind of kick forward rather than that stalling of the company, which obviously will be a disaster. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Mike. These have been very useful insights and hopefully also quite uh, useful to the entrepreneurs out there. As you mentioned before, we have a toolkit on our website about the steps taken to a successful exit that we would refer you to. Thank you for listening. We welcome all feedback, questions or topic suggestions for us to cover in future episodes. So please email howtoscale at frogcapital.com. And finally, to make sure you don't miss any future episodes, sign up for the podcast at frockcapital.com podcast. Frock invests in purpose-driven European software scale-ups, making a positive impact on society. We look for businesses who have reached product market fit and are generating over 3 million euros of annual recurring revenue, what we see as a characteristic of the scale-up phase. It's a stage where businesses are continuing the path of positive growth, a purpose-driven route to sustainability and profitability. Our own purpose is to help scale the most exciting purpose-driven software companies in Europe. We do this with both Capital and our in-house team of operating partners who work closely with all the companies we invest in to overcome the inevitable challenges scale-ups face.